Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. We're here to celebrate imperfection, to take inspiration from the chance and randomness that make our world and our human species beautifully varied. In this cybersecurity by design episode of Silo Busting, Sam Raymond, our chief information security officer and SVP, talks zero trust with Alex Gennaris, CEO of Polyverse Corporation. The last time we had Sam and Alex on the podcast, the conversation was around some pretty heady and intellectual stuff, principles of chaos in the order of the universe and so on. This time it's a more body-conscious discussion, a deep dive into what it means to build security into digital systems, not as a one-off, but in the way we continuously train a muscle. Just like I learned from the trainers at the YMCA, these muscles are built through thoughtful attention to balance and remembering to focus on both strength and stamina. They're also part of a complex body that's thinking, moving, and, at least I hope, getting stronger. How does all this relate to cybersecurity? Hackers are smart and patient, but we can build systems that move and morph and draw strength from uniqueness. It's about taking a zero-trust approach to the supply chain. Let's hear Sam and Alex's workout regimen for stronger and more flexible security systems that will help protect supply chain into the future. So this is how we're going to meet, huh, Alex? From now onwards, we can't get coffee anymore, and so we, we come up to a podcast, and this is the only chance to talk, I guess. Uh, hopefully that will end. Uh, and maybe, maybe this year. I'm, I'm very hopeful the vaccine will allow us. So. I know. Same here. Same here. Thanks for getting on again. I appreciate it. And um, I know last time we started talking about supply chain quite a bit, and and I couldn't get enough of it. I'm sure the audience is the same way. So I just, you know, thanks for coming back. And um, maybe we can we can double click on it and uh, get into a little bit deeper about a couple of topics, especially around zero trust and supply chain. Um, can I, can I just maybe as a, as a refresher, just for the audience, from your perspective, maybe talk a bit about what do you see are the challenges for just on a very high level on supply chain and, and zero trust? Where does that come in? Sure. Sure. Uh, so first off, thanks again for having me on your, your, uh, podcast here, Sam, and, uh, greetings to everybody listening in. Uh, so as the sort of refresher and to, and to get everybody caught up and grounded in today's conversation. Uh, zero trust cybersecurity is this idea of uh, just assuming imperfection, assuming there's going to be problems. Uh, and it's a very broad idea that applies to literally everything from networking to authentication to your software to so on. You know, what happens if your uh, passwords can get compromised? Well, you can use multi-factor authentication. Uh, what happens if your software is has bugs or you can't patch it rapidly? Well, you can use polymorphic techniques to, to make it resilient, even if it's not patched. Uh, what happens if your network can get compromised and somebody can bypass the firewall? Well, you can do zero trust networking and, and uh, authenticate every, every packet and every uh, communication channel. So it's a broad idea that just says, assume there's imperfection and then devise solutions that, that work even if you have imperfection. Uh, supply chain is a particularly thorny topic, uh, as the world saw, saw quite dramatically with the SolarWinds attack. Um, you know, the, the attackers there were able to get into SolarWinds itself and distribute you know, their malware through signed patches. Uh, so, you know, the estimate now is about 18,000 organizations impacted. Uh, so, it, you know, if you don't know where your your uh, binaries are coming from and if you don't know where the source code is and you don't know who built it uh what do you do then uh so that's the i think the conversation we'll have we'll dig into today 
And it, it's it's interesting because I I think if we were I don't know if you ever built a kit car before, but it's it's by the way don't it's a mistake. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's, all, it's on my bucket list. Um, <laughs> it's a lot uh, of fun, but you get to find out that you know you're only as good as your parts, and and um, it, a lot of what we build right now it wasn't like 30 years ago where you know we could just write everything from top to bottom. So much is you know uploading this binaries, uploading that binaries, and we don't even see the runtime anymore. I mean, you know, where's the IRQ? Where's the DMA? Where's the port? You don't touch them anymore. Yeah. We haven't for a long time, but now it's even more extreme. Now you're running on a runtime that's virtualized on top of virtualized on top of virtualized. And 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 what you said about, you know, as a from a perspective of an application developer, from a perspective of looking at it from a binary itself, this complete trust of of yeah, the environment is gonna take care of me, it's it's a it's a false sense of security. It 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 I, I don't know why we you know, you know this ring fencing idea. I was looking in the Panama research that you know the people that was actually in that survey, fifty-three percent of the expert understand that you know next gen or not next gen or distributed not distributed firewall. They understand fifty-three percent of it. Understand it's not effective anymore. Not that you shouldn't have a firewall, but assuming that anything after the firewall is safe, whether it's on a cloud or even on prem, I would debate it is a false sense of security. So, yeah. So knowing that, you know, we don't know where the part's coming from. We don't know if the runtime is safe. The binary needs to really focus on, you know, assuming. I love how you put it as, a, as an assumption that, you know, you assume you're not safe. You assume that, you know, you have to pay, you have to play defense quite a bit. How would you approach supply chain? What, what, is, the, what is the approach that you would recommend? Or can you get into a little bit about, about that sure. first? Uh, so there are a lot of different uh, things that you can do here. Um, let me maybe split it into uh, two categories. If you're using proprietary source code or proprietary products, or you're using open source. Uh, when you are using proprietary source code, you really have to trust the vendor. Uh, and as we, again, as we saw with SolarWinds, that can be tricky because you don't have any ability to inspect the code or, or see it and so forth. So obviously right. SolarWinds themselves was compromised, but even Microsoft uh, has um, uh, you know, announced that they were compromised by the SolarWinds attack. And uh, they're actually up on, as of today's recording, they're up in uh, Washington, D.C. testifying. Uh, yeah. There might be a few fireworks on this. Uh, we have some. <laughs> uh, we expect to see a few fireworks in the testimonies. Uh, so you know, can you even trust the stuff from Microsoft? Uh, now, how does Microsoft even know now that they aren't compromised? Right. Uh, the one of the most ironic things, though, you know, kind of in my split of proprietary versus open source. You know, uh, a lot of people love doing open source. It's been an amazing global phenomena over the last thirty years, but it's kind of interesting. Almost everybody uses open source like a proprietary system. You just download right. binaries. You think you have the source code, but do you actually know what source code went into the binary that you're using? Yep. Um, when you uh, dig into how sort of you know, Linux and some of these other popular open source systems work, you know, if you're downloading a popular distribution, um, first off, 
oftentimes that download happens from one of 10 to 15,000 random open source servers in the world that are handling the distribution. So phenomenal collective effort, but you don't necessarily even know which server you're getting your binaries from. Even all you need is one DNS poison. All you need is one DNS poison and then everything redirects. Yep. Yeah. You have no idea. You know, it could be a compromised server. And even if it isn't a compromised server, the source code that you think you see uh, on the, like if you go to GitHub or one of these repositories, when you actually uh, sort of dig into the details of what's actually built in these different um, uh, distributions, every distribution will have layers upon layers of layers of patches that are applied to, uh, you know, to sort of the mainline source. And so what you end up with is a, is a very, very complex system where it's actually kind of hard to figure out what you're, what you're really using. And so the net of it is, you know, to your question, like, what would you do about it? The simplest is just start building your own Linux, building your own systems. These days it's very simple. We can build the entirety of Linux, 8 billion lines of code across the whole, the whole, um, uh, ecosystem. You can build it. That was the norm. That was the norm, right? I mean, that used to be, I, I was building my homebrew and everybody was like, I was crazy, but that was the norm when, when we used to build them and, and, and do a config on it, understand what the setups are and, and we see the warnings, but I guess it, it, I, I agree with you. That's one route. So uh, the second route, um, so that's sort of the first vanilla thing that basically anybody can do. Uh, just, just build it yourself. Know exactly what you're putting into your system. Um, and if you can't build it, then, then, you know, ask yourself the question, well, what is it that you're really getting? Uh, the second route would be, uh, you know, shameless plug for, you know, uh, my company and similar, similar ones. You can use techniques like, uh, you know, polymorphing to u- create unique versions of script engines, unique versions of your operating system and the entire stack, all the way from the bootloader to the, to the hypervisor, to your kernel. Uh, if you can create these unique versions, uh, what this has the effect of doing is uh, denying the adversary knowledge about your system and therefore stopping and mitigating uh, a large class of attacks, whether they're script injection attacks or memory attacks or fileless attacks. Uh, if you're able to create uh, unique memory layouts and a lot of dynamism in your system, uh, then you're able to stop the attacks cold. Uh, so broadly, this is known as polymorphing, um, and it's you know available uh, very very easily, sort of a one click. So it's a fire and forget, super easy to install type system. Uh, and it also substantially reduced the yield for the attacker, right? Um, exactly. Because it, it, I mean, a big part of it, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't try to find uh, I wouldn't even write a payload for something that I know only works on one machine unless you tell me that one machine has got so much yield to it that you know that might maybe that would make sense but yeah, majority but you, of the time you've got to analyze and inspect the machine and if it's unique correct correct and and so unless i got an image for that machine i know exactly what it is or like some airlines every time they you know reboot their their uh entertainment system they show you entitled a boot console that's a bad idea if you do that that's a very bad idea yeah um unless you do something like that, they have to know the image, they need to know what the footprint is. So, but, but otherwise, you know, by making them different, uh, 
it's almost like nature to some degree. I'm getting a little too esoteric, but I remember talking to a group of students. I was asked to speak in front of them. And I told him, I said, do you know why you guys are different? I never had told you this story, Alex, but I, I, I just start out the presentation by saying, do you know why we're all different? You know, skin color, tall, height, whatever it is. And everybody was just quiet. They thought, oh boy, what is he going to get into? When I said, you know, from a, from an engineering perspective, I think it's the beautiful, it's amazing how the system works because it's the one way that we can guarantee that not one single thing can just kill us off overnight. No matter how powerful that one thing could be, when we are so different, it's so difficult for something that could actually have a blast radius that covers everybody. It's a safety. It's a safety net. It's a safeguard. So that, you know, that that variation, that polymorphism is it's it's amazing that we have in nature that we seldom brought to anything else for I think what we claim is predictability for other reasons. But I think we've gone somewhat, you know, quite a bit beyond that now with the complexity of systems. And, you know, that's a pipe dream now that you can say, you know, you know, you know exactly what packets going through what network and exactly what that world has gone anyway. So you're really taking advantage of that to make it very difficult for these attackers to, to make a lot of money by doing as little work as possible. Exactly. Now, that, that's the whole point, you know, going back to the you know, zero trust idea. That's exactly the whole point. You, the world is just too complex now. You cannot make it perfect. Um, and it's those imperfections, those bugs, that's what the attackers are exploiting. Yep. So what we have to do is make it hard for the attackers to exploit. And that's where the diversity comes in. Yeah, we have a podcast coming up uh, soon about um, about uh, ML machine learning and, and, and security. There, there is a lot to that as well, I think, in a sense that, um, uh, you know, generating noise in a, in a, in a world, it's, you know, it's hard to find pattern already, but intentionally generating noise, you know, would affect the model one way or another. And I think in many ways that, you know, that's the world that we're moving towards. I mean, because there's so much code, so much data, I think we have to accept the fact that, you know, this is, this is how we, it's a muscle that we need to deal with it. Not a yes or no answer. It's not you're secure, not secure. It's really how you can have a muscle that constantly, you know, my friends always hate that I make this analogy. They would even debate, but I, I was like, it's almost like a system of almost like your body that, you know, the antibodies got to be there. They got to be there. They got to be working. There was no such thing as a body that's not being infected. And, and so you're right. constantly, but what you want to do is you want to control the blast radius, like what you're talking about, because yeah. the last thing you want to do is, you know, the, the, the defender cannot, um, your SOC team, your MDRS, whatever it is, cannot actually be able to handle such a vast number of spread. I mean, look at Hajime, look at Mariah attack. Those just went on a storm. And a big part of it was because we never looked into that as, as something we'd have to control the blast radius. So yeah. no, I, I love what you said. It's the same password on millions of devices. Basically, sure. <laughs> yeah. That was easy. Yeah. That was, that uh, was just too easy. Yeah, so if you're talking about one, uh, just as a side note, maybe for a future uh, future podcast, uh, we talk about adding noise to a system. Um, check out something called uh, differential privacy. Okay, I will. Uh, Apple uses this uh, a lot in their um, and some of their privacy protection algorithms. But it's all uh, the math is fairly complicated, but the idea is pretty simple. It's all about adding noise to um, private or sensitive data or sensitive signals. Um, yep. and so if you add enough noise, it makes it very difficult to 
uh, you know, for anybody snooping to figure out, you know, what's left, what's right. Right. And, and code injection is a tough part too. I mean, it's, 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 I know for years we were saying that, you know, we assume that, you know, you run your SAS two, DAS tool and, and th- those are mostly to catch honest mistakes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not for malicious intent. I mean, I hate to say as a CEH, you know, it's it's so easy to to put something in, um, and and not be discovered, especially for things like the target attack. If you remember, it was dormant for eighteen months. They were patient. They stay eighteen months because they know that the QA period is going to be at least six months. Deployment is going to be another at least six months. So why would they call home? Why would they go to the beacon in less than eighteen months? So they stay dormant. I mean, we're talking about people that's very patient now, not not hacktivists and hobbyists. We still got that, but we're talking about people that you know really want to hide. And it's our typical system, our typical secure SDLC. It's hard to catch those. You're you're you're, you're you know yes, code review is important. Uh, a core committer concept is important. All of those things are important. And rotate your core committer. Don't always have one and so on. Yeah. But but how do you tell? I mean, when there was code injection, you were you were talking to me a, a little bit earlier about backdoors and what is backdoor, what is not, and how do you tell? Could you speak a little bit to that so that people understand? You know, it, it's not just about a, a obvious. You know, yeah, somebody didn't do a string end copy, did a string copy, or sure mm-hmm. that. But could you speak to that a little bit, Alex? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's him. Um, so look, from time to time, there are really obvious backdoors uh, put into systems. Um, you know, Cisco was uh, impacted by this um, a few years back, you know, solar winds and so on. Uh, but the, the fundamental challenge is what happens about the sophisticated backdoors? Um, and what really is a backdoor? So one of the uh, analyses that we did at my company for, for, uh, for the for a government customer, and that's probably all I can say, is we were looking at uh, changes to you know the underlying sort of virtual machine and hypervisor infrastructure uh, that were done by some foreign adversaries, and and we're we're looking at this, and we saw one particular change that controlled memory, just how memory was was handled, laid out, and who had access to it. So it was a very very important API. And this API was simplified at one point from two parameters to one parameter. So in other words, you know, uh, you know, it's a C, bit of C code, and it went from two arguments to one argument. Um, and so if you sort of look at that code as, a, as an engineer, or look at that particular code change, it was perfectly fine, perfectly straightforward. Uh, you know, it would have passed any code review anywhere. Now, what wasn't obvious at, at first, though, was that um, connected to that by, by shrinking from one argument to, I'm sorry, from two arguments to one argument, the, there was a bug elsewhere in the system that allowed the attacker to take control of that one data structure. And because of that, they then were able to take control of the memory system. And that really only was enabled because it went from two parameters down to one parameter. You know, for anybody on the call that's, that's done actually 
created uh, a, a, a true sort of, you know, piece of malware, uh, you'll appreciate this. It, it can be very difficult. And what you're trying to do is figure out, you know, where are there bugs and what data elements can you control, which, which functions can you control and so forth. And it is a heck of a lot easier to control one data structure than it is to control two. And so you take this thing where, you know, you know, a foreign adversary made a change to open source to go from two parameters to one. It was a good change. Mm-hmm. But it also enabled a follow-on attack. So is that a backdoor or not? Right. Oh, my gosh. How in the world would you ever know? How in the world would you ever catch these things? Um, and, the, and the answer is you can't. And that's why you have to, you know, you just have to assume that they're backdoors and whether it's open source code, proprietary stuff, you just have to assume it's compromised. Uh, and then, you know, take one of these defensive measures that we were talking about. That, that last one that you talked about, about, about stack frame changes. So we can, we can have yet another podcast just to talk but the but the bindy patch that I had on zone transfer that I did when I was still at Pilot. This is '98 when when um, when actually Microsoft was there was a zone transfer to Microsoft redirected to to them a porn site. This is you know we talk about way back when when zone transfer is still ex- exact. It's extremely easy to corrupt, but it was exactly it was a poisoning of a of a signature. It was a function uh, prototype. That has a variable number of arguments. Thank you very much. Stop doing that, by the way. But it was a uh, it was variable <laughs> number of argument. It was exactly that. It was you know modification stack frame. It was very very. It was I would say 15, 16 step. I remember it was like GDBing, you know, with a couple of my friends over, and and I was sweating because it was, you know, everybody was like, you know, when can we fix this? When we can fix this? And and um and we were trying to catch it live because I couldn't. And finally, when I caught it, I actually hacked the the first patch. The first patch was. I intentionally just corrupted. I put a I put a dog tag in there. I put you know 18 bytes of uh, I put it, sorry I put 16 bytes and then I patched two more intentionally to go out of alignment just to make sure that the same uh, workaround does not work anymore because they were still assuming the same stack frame. Well, that's a cheat, and it took me another few days to actually figure out what is the right patch for it. But that little corruption, my intentional corruption, or pushing out the stack save me for you know a day or two to actually go further with it but it was it was exactly a function prototype you know uh changes that caused that so yeah and, and, now, and not to not to mention about asp now right. now we have asp we have scholars we have language that encourages that and, and i'm not saying it's a bad thing i know i'm going to get a lot of flame for it but now we have languages that encourage you know going back in time to change you know function runtime no you know you know code on write and all that stuff so we're in a different world, different ball game. But sorry, Alex, you were saying. Oh yeah, no. This is I love your story there on on how you're doing the dynamic patching to to vary it up to mess up the attackers. That's the exact idea of polymorphism. Keep it keep it moving so they don't know. Because uh, as the attacker, if you don't know what it is you're going against, it's not going to work. Um, you have to know that you're going after a copy of Windows, and thankfully. You, know, you can get the exact copy of Windows everybody else is using. And if you can't, if those details like the stack and memory layout and function addresses, if all those are different, not going to work. Yep, yep, I completely agree. Alex, I think I think I got like 15 other things I want to pick your brain on. Um, <laughs> I've used up all your time already. Um, 
we'll love to have you back again. Uh, I, I was thinking about almost even doing the the Marvel superhero thing uh, in a sense that, you know, maybe we could do a few more and then I could bring the group together as a panel uh, together and do like an Avenger kind of thing and have a panel discussion. But we'll, we'll talk more about that. But uh, That'd be great. But maybe maybe uh, Avenger Endgame, not Avenger. Let's <laughs> do the victory side, not the, not the yeah. all the capitalist die side. That's right. <laughs> Let's do that. Well, anyway, uh, thank you so I'll much. Tease a, a topic for you for next time. Sure. Uh, uh, maybe just to uh, whet your appetite and whet the appetite of the audience. So one of the uh, latest breakthroughs that we've made uh, over at my company is we can now run uh, fully encrypted code without decrypting it. So we can take uh, you know, script engines and script languages like PHP and JavaScript and so forth uh, and let you just fully encrypt uh, all the code that you want to run and just run it straight encrypted directly from the encryption. Uh, so if you want to kind of ultimate in security, just encrypt your code and run it encrypted. Nobody can mess with it. All right. I got I got to see this now. I'm going to, I'm going to look for it. I got to figure it. <laughs> I'll bring it in next time. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, even better yet, send me a binary. I like to take a look at binary, but we'll see how it works. But anyway, this this sounds amazing. I'd love to hear more about it. Maybe we could talk more about that next time. Yeah, around around um, exactly around uh, visibility of the binary and, and how we can prevent you know that to be something to be easily you know Ida Pro and everything else with or without it. It's so easy. So any code that's transient, to your point. You know, a, a, an immediate execution that that does not have a transient, you know, IR. It's so useful. Um, I'd like to hear more about it. So, okay, all right, Alex. I'm I'm using too much of a time. Let's let's do this again soon. Um, and uh, thank you so much again. That'd be great, Sam. Uh, always a pleasure, and thank you everybody for listening. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Alex Ganares for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to get some reps in. <laughs>